Good morning, everyone, from a very cold Camp Atterbury, where I am stationed this weekend for a vaccination training course I am running. Uh, let us talk about something different. I don't have my friends behind me, my books, my forum to consult this Shabbos, so I am really relying on <laughs> memory and a lot of imagination. Please uh, forgive me. Many of us are accustomed to reading the Korbanos and the Parshas about the Mishkan without thinking much about the physical plant, or the plumbing as I call it. Um, we view it metaphorically as a place to offer sacrifices, a dwelling place for the divine. We've talked about that, that Korbanos are now represented by our davening. And although we edify the structure, that's mainly because we, in our tradition, anticipate a third base amikdosh, and so we need to know the structure of the building. But I would like to concentrate today on one aspect of plumbing, <laughs> in which the Torah in Shmos 38 uh, does not give us the full description in the command to uh, create and, and, and uh, build the Mizbeach, the altar. The Torah tells us uh, that both libations of wine and water are to be placed on the altar at various points and at various times. But there's no precision for the process of doing so, and certainly there's nothing about the construction of the runoff of the wine and water. But the Mishnah, uh, based on Sifri, Numbers 107, and the Mishnah in Sukkah, say the following. Shnei safalim shel kesev hoyushom. There were two silver basins there. Rabbi Huda Oymer Shel Sid. Rabbi Huda says they were made of lime. Elashahoyu Moshrin Pneem Mipne Hayayin. But their faces were darkened because of the wine. So even though the lime color uh, was a tan, uh, the face of, the, of these basins were darkened because of the dark wine over time that they contained. And now the plumbing. They had holes, two narrow nostril-like pipes. One was thick and one was narrow. And why, was they, why were they different? So that the, both the water and the wine could exit from the basin simultaneously. The wine being very thin, with low viscosity, needed a narrow nostril. The thicker wine needed a larger nostril or larger exit. Very good. Plumbing 101. The nostril description is intriguing, and it parallels another description of the altar runoff, the pipes, the shisin, through which the blood drained from the altar. And that's a Mishnah in Midos 3. The Tosefta in Sukkah 3, 14, using Lieberman's edition, uh, provides information where the nostril pipes led. Rabbi Huda Omer, Shel Sid Hoyu, Ela Shehoyu Mashkirim Bebnei Hayayin Amlukne Kemin Shnei Chotmin, just like we said previously. Shebahen, now he adds, Yordin Lesilon Shebanu Mi Shebanu Etahecho. They were of lime and they would be darkened by wine. And they were perforated like two thin nostrils through which the libations now 
would descend, and now we get this added piece of information to a tube built by the one who built. So the Mishnah, based on the Sifri, expands things we didn't know from the Torah. Now, this nostril description is very intriguing, and it parallels a description of another altar runoff, the pipes. I, I told you this would be very plumbing today. <laughs> the pipes through which the blood drains from the altar. And that's a Mishnah in Midos and a Tosefta in Sukkah. Uh, and it provides us further information on where the nostril pipes lead. Let's look at that. Rabbi Yehuda Omer, Shel Sid Hoyu. Okay, so the blood exit was uh, also a basin made out of lime. And here he says, Shehoyu mashfirin mitnehayayin. And here, the libation of wine and the libations of blood would descend to a tube built by the one, Yordin Lesilon Shebonu Mi Shebonu Etachechol. Wow. So now we know whoever built the temple built those tubes from the Mizbeach. So now we know where the drainage of the nostrils lead. It was set in place by the one who built the temple. Well, who built the temple? The Talmud doesn't tell us who built the temple. And there's an extended topic on this. And the Gomorrah in Sukkah provides an extensive treatment describing these pipes called Shisin. Omar Rabbi Barchana, Omar Rabbi Yochanan. Shisin, Shisin, Masa Yemei Bracious Nivru. Oh. We're not talking about the one who built the temple who built the Shisin. Maybe the Gemara means that the one who built the Mizbeach is the one who built the temple, built the Mizbeach, and he built the nostrils. But the pipes leading from the nostrils out, we're told a very, very surprising and mythical statement that the pipes called the Shisin they were built, created during the six days of creation, as it says, from Posuk from Shia Shirim, This is a description of the female anatomy. Not only the female anatomy, the erotic part of the female anatomy. The roundness of your Thighs are kemochalain, they're like jewels. They're as round as jewels. Kabutzat adayezahav. And now Rashi says on that a collection of gold jewelry, karuye chalekesim, is called chalekesim, the jewels of gold. Because al khali in Arabic is a jewel. Al khali balashan adabi. The Rabbosenu Dasha, now he's quoting the Gemara in Sukkah, Al Nikve Hashisin. Rashi is bringing us from Shihashirim the anatomy of Eros and desire and the geography of it, all the way to the Gemara in Sukkah that talks about the Shisin that come from the Mizbeach, from the pipes, from the nostrils. Rabbi Seinu Dorshu al Nikve Hashisin Shel Nasachim 
Shenasu Mishashas Yemei Breshis. They were created in the uh, the six days of creation. And why? Agulim Kamo Yarech. They are round like a thigh. Kamo Chalaim. A term denoted digging, that which has been dug out of a pit. Six days of creation created. This interpretation of building on the Song of Songs, this undulating thigh reminds me of the English patient. Did you ever see the introduction to the English patient and you see the Arab sands of the desert outside Egypt of Tunisia, the windswept desert? It's not flat, it's undulating. And you see it like it moves from that to the belly of the protagonist's mistress. <laughs> it's an amazing metaphor. The undulating desert, the geography of the desert, and the, the, the color of the desert, and the color of her belly as he's stroking it. Your hidden parts of your thighs are like the links of a chain, the making of a craftsman, and the hidden parts are the pipes, the linking of a chain that descends into these depths the holes of Eros, meaning the depths of the Masebracious. So this depiction of the female anatomy concealed thigh in this creative midrashic imagination is referring to the pipes of the altar that are unseen like the Eros of a woman running from the bottom and the side of the altar called the thighs of the altar. A through to the hollow, the perfect description of the pipe, descending to the chalalim, to the depths that were none other created on the six days of creation. And this is supported by an earlier tradition, a Tanaitic tradition in the house of Rabbi Ishmael, Tono de Bey Rabbi Ishmael, Bereshis, the very first word of the Torah, Bereshis, is a notarikon. We know that later on from the Tikkune Zohar, which is 72 chapters, each chapter starting with the word Bereshis and parsing it mystically. 72 chapters on the word Bereshis. Tolo the Rabbi Shmuel, Bereshis, split it up into Bora, base, Reish, Aleph, Shis. Shis, what is Shis? Shis is six. Shis is also Shisin pipes. Bereshis, in the beginning, the first act of creation, is the creation of pipes. Plumbing, the genesis of the world, is encoded in the most primordial word, Bereshis. And as God is creating the world, these pre-natural pipes, these primordial pipes, are brought into being at the same time. One is reminded of the Mishnah in Ovos, chapter 5, that on the Benashmoshos of Friday, that is, twilight between the end of the six days of creation and the beginning of Shavas Vayinofash when he rested, there were little bits and pieces that didn't fit neatly into the evolutionary character of Horatius, like the Piha Aton, the mouth of the ass that would speak. All right. And Bereshis then talks about Boroshis also 
uh, everyone's uh, creation, including Bereshus. Now, the continuation of the Gemara cites another Tanaitic interpretation to support these hollow pipes and what are the depths. And let me share that with you here. It was taught in a Brisa. Rabbi Yossi says, the drain pipes are hollow and descend to the depths. As it says, let me sing of my well beloved, a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. Again, a very erotic description. My well beloved had a vineyard in a fruitful hill and he dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vine and built a tower in the midst of it and hewed out a vat therein. This is a postage from Isaiah 5, 1. And God is criticizing Am Yisrael as the lover, and unfortunately, she was unfaithful. Then he says he built a tower therein, and Rabbi, Ishmael, Rabbi Yossi says that refers to the Mizbeach. And he hewed out of that therein refers to the drain pipes. As the owner of the vineyard is a parable for God, the indication is that the drain pipes are a natural part of creation. So that supports that um, notion that these deep depths are a natural part of creation. He even carved a wine receptacle within it. These are the pipes. So employing several different levels of wordplay, the Talmud presents the building of the altar, focusing on the literary elements pertaining to the altar. It's understandable that the quality vines that the Pasuk in Isaiah says is interpreted as the temple and the Nisuchayayin, the pouring of the wine, and the tower at its center would be seen as the altar. And the wine receptacle is reasonably interpreted as the pipes chiseled in the altar that held the wine libations. Now, having presented you some textual interpretations to the origin of the altar and its pipes, the Gemara then moves on to raise some questions as to its physical makeup. Omar Rabbi Elazar Bar Tzaduk, Lul katan hoya bein keves lemizbeach, but ma'aravo shel keves. There's a little small chamber between the ramp on the altar of the western side of the ramp. Now listen to this. Achat l'shivim shana. Every 70 years, pirche kahuna, the kids, the small priests who could climb down there, yordim l'shom. They would climb down into that little chamber, which had now been caked up with congealed wine. Umalaktin misham yayin krush shedome igule debila, and they would gather the congealed wine that looked like a dried fig cake. And what would they do with it? Uba'in fasorfenoso piktusha. They would bring it. Throw it back on the Mizbeach and burn it. Shinema, as it says, in the holy, offer a libation of wine unto the Lord. Meaning, offer a libation of wine that was not the wine that was poured, but the wine that caked up after 70 years. According to this tradition, which follows one opinion in the Tosefta, the pipes with the libations don't descend into the depths, as we saw in the Midrash. They actually run to the end of the line and remain accessible for retrieval and liquidation every 70 years. 
So this allows for a kind of second offering, as it were, of the wine. The congealed wine concentrate is taken and burnt. The Talmud's continuation spells out, invoking Bamidbar uh, 28, that the word Kodesh Lashem implies that they were burned in the temple, just like everything else that was Kodesh Lashem. Out of this Gemara, a series of disputes over the various details of the structure of the Mizbeach emerges. There's a question as to whether the pipes descended to home, to the depths, or they don't descend beyond the point of retrieval. There's a dispute as to whether they were built by God, Barashis, or by whoever built the temple. Possibly David Amelech or Shlomo, as some later glosses to the Tosefta of Lieberman would have it. Building on a relatively straightforward mission and its description of the nostril pipes, we end up with a huge amount of divergence on the details. And the positions differ on more than just the particular of the tubular basins. They point to a larger question regarding the very nature of the Mizbeach that I want to now introduce you to. We might best consider this question by returning to the Mishnah. What, is, what, what do we mean exactly to understand when the Mishnah says that they resemble two nostrils? Is this simply a, a physical description or is there something more profound going on here? Now let's go to the Posig in Hazinu, which actually gives us the clue. Yoru mishpatecha le-Yaakov v'sorosecha le-Yisrael. They shall teach your laws to Jacob and your instructions to Israel. Now look at the second posse, part of the posseg, which I never paid attention to before. Yosimu ketorah ba'apecha. They shall offer you incense ba'apecha to your face, to, towards you, facing you. V'kalil al mizbechecha. And your kalil and your whole offerings on your altar. Interesting. Here, God's altar appears in a, a synonymous parallel to God's nose. And the two sacrificial receptacles are compared. Just like the burnt offerings are bought on the altar, the incense enters God's nose, as it were, after being turned to smoke. Now, given the broader context, this metaphor is not too surprising. We've already set up the relationship between the Mizbeach and the body. The sacrifices are elsewhere in Bamidbar 28.2, considered God's offering and bread. Lutzorach uh, Gavoa, we talk about in the Gemara and Svachim, that I'm bringing the Korbonos for God's appetite. And, and we say that davening is representative of that. So God knows. Our Mishnah might be read as the next logical step following this verse. If the altar is God's nose, it would make only sense that God's nose had two nostrils. And in fact, that just as a nose has a nostril, the altar serves as the point of intake for the burnt offerings like the incense and the ola in our posuk. The nostril pipes serve as the receptacle for the libations. But where do the libations go? And here is the kicker. Where do they go? Not so simple. 
On this account, they go all the way down to the Tahon. If the smoke of the burnt offering ascends to heaven, the liquid libations done run down, 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 out of the human world into the Tahon, the divinely fashioned nether realm of the depths. In the cosmology of Bracious, there is the dome of the sky, above which is the heavens. There's the flat earth, and underneath is the dome of the Tahom, the dome of the depths, the netherworld. But how could the man-made temple connect to such an otherworldly realm? How could such a construction have been carried out, even by the kings of David and Shlomo? On this approach, the answer is simple. It wasn't created by the human agency. Hence the Talmudic reading, Maase Yedei Oman, Zu Maase Yedei Oman, The work of an Oman wasn't, as the Torah implies, the work of a craftsman. It was the work of the craftsman with a capital C, Boroshis. He had to build into the creation, the Shisin, the connecting cubes, to the netherworld. And we can take this teaching a step further. Not only were the pipes of the altar created by God at the time of the creation of the world, but these pipes might have been the very basis for the creation of the world. The Medrash on the Torah's first word, Boroshis, the Medrash Agadah, Buber's edition says, Meshisin shel Mizbeach Boroho Olam. Not only was it Boroshis, he created Shisim, but he takes it an even step further and says, Boroshis should be read Barashis. From the pipes of the altar, God created the world. From the pipes that connected to the netherworld, that's where the pipes of the altars of God created our world. This teaching not only points to the centrality of the primordial altar, we know that already from Evan Shesiyah. We spun out from the rock from which the Mizbeach would be built, the Holy of Holies, that same place of Akedas Yitzchok, was Shesiyah. It was of Evan through which the whole world would be spun out. That sits in the Koche Kochim. We know that already. So this is not new to us that something mythical and primordial would be happening at the base of the Mizbeach. Now, on the other side of this debate, we have a very apparently mundane understanding of the creation of the altar, that they were not created by God, by simply whoever built the temple, David HaMelech or, or, or Shlomo HaMelech. And the Gemara in, in Sukkah tells us, and I'm going to bring this because I hope to be able to resolve the, um, the, the contradiction between the two. And the Gemara says, You know, right in the end of Tehillim, there are 15 Shir uh, And guess what? There are actually 15 steps that descend from the Azorah to the to the, the women's courtyard. And they correspond to the Shira Malos, the songs of ascent in Tehillim. Now, what's the connection? And we hear some beautiful drush 
Amar Rabbi Yochanan, B'shoshe Karo David Shisin Kapatahoyma. When David Amelech, not God, it's not the mythical reading, it's a very, very mundane reading. When David Amelech, so according to this drush, David Amelech was building the Mizbech, and now he's digging the drain pipes into the foundation of the temple. What happens? What happens? Something happens. What happened was he inadvertently, he inadvertently moved something. Attempting to build the, the pipes, he had a run-in. He moved the lid of something, and the waters of the depths starting to bubble up to drown the entire universe, the world. And so he recited the 15 songs of the ascent and made them subside. It's an amazing story. It's an amazing drush. The Gemara describes the source for David Amelech's composition of the last 15 Psalms of Shira Malos, Tehillim 120 to 134. And the Gemara tells us that when David Amelech was digging the Shisin under the place of the Mizbeach, before he built the Mizbeach, he had to do the draining, the plumbing, into which the wine and the water would flow. He inadvertently removed a potsherd that covered or plugged the holes of the waters of the deep, and the water started to rise and threaten to drown the world. And in David Melech inquired whether he was permitted to write the name of Hashem on the potsherd and throw it back into the water in order to stop the deluge. And no one gave him an answer until he pronounced a curse on anyone who knew the ruling but wouldn't reveal it to him. So Achitofel told him, yes, you're permitted to write the name of Hashem on the potsherd, throw it into the water, even though Hashem's name would be erased by the water. So David Amela followed his ruling, and when he saw that the water descended too much as a result of the potsherd, he said the 15 Psalms of Shia Malos to raise the waters to the water level. Our presentation has presented a all frontal dispute whether these pipes to hell, these altar pipes were created by God at the very beginning of creation, whether they were an afterthought or did creation actually spin out from those pipes or were they a mundane creation of a human being, David Amelech, and a technical problem. But in both cases, we are told that those pipes descended to the Tahom. And David's redigging of the pipes almost led to disaster when he came into contact with the depths, possibly the depths that God had early connected to the altar pipes. A primordial divine creation. This connector between the holiest location on earth and the netherworlds needed to be uncovered by human agency to properly manifest its powers. And that may be why the Tosefta cryptically states that the pipes were created by whoever built the temple. I think that this is a real marshal as we go into this wonderful Yontav of Geula, that this is, this is a paradigm for ourselves.
My friends, the Mizbeach is the heart. <laughs> and you can say that I live with the heart, the rational, that which is above, the temporal can be seen. But we are being told in a very mythical, primordial way at the very beginning of what we consider our Torah, our spiritual roadmap, voracious. The beginning of all of this, there is built into it a sense of betrayal. There is a connection from this world through those pipes, those nostrils, those, the plumbing to a dark netherworld that can threaten to kill us, to consume us at any time. Whether it's on the national pandemic level, whether it's on the internal psychological level, our heart built into it are these nostril shape openings that lead into the depths of the darkness of the tahome, of our addictions, of our resentments, of our suffering. And sometimes we inadvertently, like David Amelech, push the potter aside and it starts come bubbling them up. We didn't realize we were doing it. Our wives triggered us, our mothers-in-law triggered us, whatever triggers us. We inadvertently get someone else pushes that potter aside and out comes bubbling this rage and torrent from the tahome. And I guess the message is, you know, Shiramalus. We've got to just sing. We have to praise our response to the insanity of it all, to the setup, to the setup of this incredibly crazy life that we live, the uncanniness of it, the powerlessness over it, the inevitability of it. We are being taught a deep lesson, and the lesson is Shir Hamalot. The 15 levels, the 15 steps that go from the Azorah to the courtyard means that we have to take steps. We can't do it at once. We have to, each of us, work our steps, the 15 steps of praise, beginning with the night of Pesach, the night of Geula, and the night through which we will go through the Ma'alot that will take us to our redemption through Shavuot. Have a wonderful Yontav. We will meet again after the Geula. May you all be blessed.